Well, it's good to see you guys. It's good to be with you. Um, as you know, it's my privilege to bring to you the, the Word of God this morning. I would ask if you would please just join with me in a word of prayer. If you would close your eyes and bow your heads, let's pray. Our Heavenly Master, our Father in Heaven, we bring ourselves before your throne of grace right now, and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to receive your word, that through the power of your word you might bring change our way. We pray this because we know that we are dependent upon you. We come to you through the shed blood and in the name of Jesus. And we pray, speak. Open the eyes of our understanding. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's passage is both convicting and encouraging. And I know that I, in and of myself, have no ability whatsoever, apart from Christ, to be able to convey to you the power of the passage before us. Our passage serves as a spiritual sobriety check it should result to some degree in a healthy self-examination. It serves as a reminder that our heavenly master owns everything and we are called to steward his resources for his glory. All that we have belongs to him and we have been entrusted to capitalize off the resources given. We are to be productive with the resources that God has entrusted to us. And of course, the greatest of all resources is the gospel. The good news that Jesus died a bloody death on a cross for sinners like me and like you. Through the death of Jesus, our sins, our many sins, our countless sins are atoned for, and we are set free from the guilt and the power that sin has over our lives. And we are to take this gospel into the world knowing that it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Uh, we are to be productive through the resource of the gospel. And this gospel lays claim to our whole lives. Every area of our life is to come under the influence of the gospel. Beyond the gospel, our heavenly master has resourced us in such ways that we might engage in the enterprise of gospel productivity. The gospel, therefore, ought to give shape to our use of money, our use of possessions, our use of time, everything. Our entire lives are to be brought under the influence of the gospel. And we see this in the parable of the talents. If you would turn then with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, we will begin by reading verses 14 through 30. Matthew 25. This parable is found within the broader context of the Olivet Discourse in which Jesus addresses the end times and the importance of being ready for that day. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14. 
for it, the kingdom of heaven, is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. And to the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with him, and he gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one also who had received the two talents came up and he said, Master, you entrusted to me two talents. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And... And the one also who had received the one talent came up and he said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And, and I was afraid. I went away and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and he said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has shall more be given and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away and cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God. My message is entitled, The Parable of the Talents, and we will frame today's message around five considerations in the parable of the talents that should motivate us in the stewardship of God's resources. Five considerations in the parable of the talents that should motivate us in the stewardship of God's resources. Consideration number one, a man prepares for a journey by entrusting all his possessions to his slaves. Again, a man prepares for a journey by entrusting all of his possessions to his slaves. Verse 14, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. In this parable, Jesus begins, it is just like. It refers to the kingdom of heaven mentioned in verse 1 of this chapter. In fact, the kingdom of heaven is a central theme used over 30 times in Matthew's gospel. He is the only gospel writer to employ this phrase, perhaps to present a view of the kingdom that the Jewish readers desperately needed to hear. Matthew describes the kingdom of heaven as good news, and he links it to the need for repentance of sin, Matthew 3, 2 and 4, 17. He also links it 
to obedience to God, Matthew 7, 21. The kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit. We see this in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 3. And the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who suffer for the sake of righteousness, Matthew 5, 10. Acknowledging one's spiritual bankruptcy and a willingness to surrender self for the sake of the Savior are essential. In Matthew 18, 3 through 4, Jesus declares, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. In the same way, children rely and depend upon help and direction from their earthly parents. Kingdom citizens must rely upon their heavenly Father for everything. Self-sufficiency prevents us from entering the kingdom as we learn when Jesus describes the difficulty of the rich person entering the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 19, 24. The parables of Jesus often focus our attention on the kingdom of heaven. John MacArthur says, it is helpful to understand that the kingdom of heaven at times refers to the invisible kingdom made up of genuine believers, but the kingdom of heaven at times is connected to that which is visible. Within the visible kingdom, we see genuine believers alongside of false believers. The kingdom of heaven is compared to sowing seed in a field. Both weeds and wheat grow together. However, at the harvest, the weeds will be bound into bundles and burned. Matthew 13, 24 to 30. Uh, the parable of the dragnet compares the kingdom of heaven to a net containing both good and bad fish. They are gathered together, but will be separated. Matthew records Jesus saying these words, So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, 49 to 50. In Matthew's gospel, we see also that the kingdom of heaven is likened to valuable treasure. It is valuable treasure, worth more than anything that we can own. Matthew 13, 44. It should be sought after like a merchant in search of a pearl of great price, Matthew 13, 45 to 46. In the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, we learn that no one enters the kingdom of heaven on the basis of their own accomplishments. Instead, we enter by grace, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that same grace is available to those who accept it early in life as well as those who accept it late in life. And Matthew writes of the kingdom of heaven in both the present and the future tense. In one sense, the kingdom is at hand, Matthew 4.17. The first coming of Jesus marks the inauguration of the kingdom of heaven. Through faith in Jesus, one begins to taste of the kingdom. However, the kingdom in its fullest sense is yet future. The fact that Christ instructs us to pray, Thy kingdom come, makes sense if the kingdom has yet to fully come. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven has been inaugurated, but it is yet to come in its fullest sense. Jesus himself declares, when the Son of Man comes, and he will come in his glory, and all of the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Matthew 25, 31, 34. Thus, Matthew communicates much 
about the kingdom of heaven, and our passage today begins with a direct reference to that kingdom. What about that kingdom? What about the sphere of God's rule and reign? Matthew, in the parable of the talents, is about to tell us the kingdom of heaven is like a man about to go on a journey. But before leaving, he calls his slaves together and he puts them in charge over all of his possessions. Much can be determined about this man. He has many possessions. He owns the entire estate and everything that is in it, including those referred to as slaves. This man is wealthy. He is influential, kind, and generous. He puts his slaves in charge of the estate. The owner is willing to entrust tremendous responsibility to his slaves. In his wisdom, he divides out the responsibilities. He gives to each talents according to his own ability. A talent is a measure of weight associated with gold, silver, or bronze. The owner thus provides his slaves with financial resource. He knows what each slave is capable of, and he resources each one accordingly. Take note that there is nothing, there is nothing unfair about the master giving different amounts to each of his slaves. You will also note that every slave was provided with the necessary means with which to serve his master and engage in productivity. The owner gives vision and purpose to his slaves. They would have known what they were to do with their master's possessions and their resources entrusted to them. The master in this parable is willing to entrust great responsibility to his slaves. And the slaves, without question, were to honor their master with the resources entrusted to them. And likewise, you and I are to honor our heavenly master with the resources that he has entrusted to us. This begs the question, how are you doing? The passage tells us that after entrusting all his possessions to his slaves, the master goes away. What happens next? How do the slaves respond? When the master leaves, what do the slaves do? Well, this brings us to consideration number two. The slaves respond in two different ways to the stewardship entrusted to them. The slaves respond in two different ways to the stewardship entrusted to them. Verse 16 reads, Immediately, immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and he gained five more talents. This first slave did not delay. There was no delay in faithfully serving his master. The text begins immediately. As soon as the master leaves, the first slave gets to it. There is no hint of procrastination. And compared to the other slaves, he receives the most resources. And he took his five talents and he traded with them. The text does not tell us what exactly he traded for, but the text is clear that the slave effectively capitalized. He gained five more talents somehow, some way. This is what the master expected, that the slave would invest the resources entrusted to him for the purpose of gain. The text continues in verse 17, we read, in the same manner, the one who had received the two talents, he gained two more talents. The second slave did the same as the first slave. 
he took the resources allotted to him and he went off and made a profit. He started off with fewer talents than the first. The master has the right to divvy out the talents as he sees fit. The responsibility of the slave is to wisely invest the resources given to make a profit for the master. The first two slaves did well, did they not? They responded immediately to their good master. Clearly, they understood him as a good master. They were happy as his slaves to serve him diligently. They had a good view of who their master was. They wanted to serve him, and they used the resource of money to trade and make a profit. In other words, they were good stewards of the resources their master had entrusted to them. And friends, I ask you today a simple and perhaps rhetorical question. Do you realize, and I am speaking to all of us, children included, do you realize that your heavenly master has resourced you with what you need to effectively serve him? No matter how old, no matter how young, God has given to you the resources you need to effectively serve Him. And of course, the greatest and the most precious of all resources is the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus who left the glory of heaven for the sake of saving our souls through His own bloody death on a cross of wood. Almighty God has resourced every single one of us through the gospel. Through the gospel, our many sins are atoned for, and we are set free from the guilt and power that sin has over our lives. Do you believe that? Uh, through the gospel, we are empowered to walk in the newness of life. We can walk in the manner worthy of the calling with which God has called us. Do you believe that? Peter declares that we have all that we need. We are not lacking. We have all that we need for life and godliness. The gospel leaves us with no excuse for any lack of productivity. But we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We have been entrusted with the gospel and it is expected that through the gospel, fruit is born. In our lives, as well as through our lives, it is expected that fruit is born. Our Heavenly Father expects productivity, gospel productivity from our lives. And in our passage, we see that the first two slaves served their master well. They were productive, and they had something to show for it. Let us continue reading verse 18. But he who received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and he hid his master's money. The word but, as you all know, is a contrasting conjunction. The third slave is being contrasted to the first two. This third slave received one talent. He was given less money. Evidently, the master knew he was not as capable as the first two slaves. The master therefore gave him less responsibility. Surely the slave could have taken the one talent and like the others, invested it effectively. But he fails to do so. The text says, he who received the one talent went away. And he dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Such a response guarantees two things. First, he was not going to use the resource for gain. What a tragedy. Second, he was not going to lose the resource, or so he thought. But because of his failure to invest his resource in order to multiply it, he will end up losing what he has. We discover this later in our passage. 
This slave takes the time to dig a hole and bury the talent. This required little effort, little time. What did he do once he was done? The text does not say, but we know what he did not do. He did not effectively use the resources given. He did not make any gains from the talent provided. He buried it and then likely went on doing his own thing. Though he was a slave in name, he failed to behave as a slave. And the Bible warns about the fact that there are those in the visible church who for all intents and purposes are doing nothing for the master. There are those who have been given talents. They have been resourced sufficiently. They have heard the gospel and they can spout off gospel truth, but they are strangers to gospel power. They have not, through repentance of sin and faith in Christ, experienced the transforming power of the gospel in their lives. They know nothing of what it means to become a new creature in Christ. Faith in Christ is always the first step towards faithful stewardship. Through faith in Christ does one experience any desire to live For the glory of God, through faith in Christ, does one invest his resources in eternal gain. Thus we observe from the slaves two different responses to the stewardship entrusted to them. The first two slaves in faith went out and they earned a profit. The third slave, crippled by fear, buried his talent in order not to lose it. Well, let us now turn to consideration number three. Consideration number three, the master returns and settles accounts with each of his slaves. The master returns and he settles accounts with each of his slaves. Verse 19 reads, Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. There is not much to comment on here, I don't think. The text says, after a long time, the master of the slaves came. He eventually returned. Humanly speaking, it took a long time before he returned. And similarly, it may seem like the Lord is taking a long time to return. It has been some 2,000 years since his ascension. Why does he tarry? Why does he not now return? A part of the reason is he is waiting for the fullness of the Gentiles to come to faith. The Lord is exercising tremendous patience. The human race is living on borrowed time. And there is still opportunity for folks to repent of their sin and to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And if you are here today, and if you have yet to repent of your sins and embrace Christ as your Savior, I urge you to do so now. Do not put it off. Do not delay. There is a day coming when it will be too late. And do not think that you can simply wait until tomorrow, a week from now, a month, a year, a decade, and then at that time you'll be ready to make yourself right with the Lord. If He is speaking to you right now, now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart against the voice of God as He comes knocking at the door of your heart. But accept Christ, embrace Christ, repent of your sin, and believe in Him now. Do not delay. When he returns, he will settle accounts. It will then be too late to get right and to live a life of productivity to the glory of God. In our passage, we read that after a long time, the master of those slaves came and he settled accounts with them. 
He opens the ledger in order to evaluate the productivity of their lives. Brothers and sisters, know this. Know this. The Lord will return. And the day will come when the ledger of our lives will be opened. The Lord will examine what we have believed and how we have lived our lives. He is coming with the expectation that through faith in Him, we have lived a, as faithful stewards of the resources that He has entrusted to us. Well, with this in mind, let us turn to consideration number four. What an encouragement, what a blessing, how sweet it is. The master rewards his faithful slaves. The master rewards his faithful slaves. Verse 20 says, And the one who had received the five talents came up, brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. What do we know about this slave? He had originally received five talents. He was given more than the others. And he took what was given and he used it for productive gain. The master's investment in him did not go to waste. You will note the slave came up to his master and brought five more talents uh, there is a sense when one is productive for his master, he is excited to return to the master what was accomplished through him. The slave demonstrates proper respect to his master. We see this in the address, master. And those were not just empty words. Uh, that word master was filled with meaning. It meant something to him. It had significance to him. He did not just say master in word, but in heart he was saying master. The slave also had a firm grasp of where the resources came from. He knew the talents were given to him by his master. And we conclude that the slave was productive. He did not simply sit around waiting for something good to happen. No, no, he stepped out in faith, used the resources given in order to be productive and to make some gain. So how does the master respond? The answer comes to us in verse 21. His master said to him, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter. Enter into the joy of your master. In short, the master was pleased with his slave's productivity. He begins by affirming his results. He says, well done. He then affirms the slave's character. Good and faithful slave. He also affirms his slave's work. He says, you were faithful with a few things. He rewards his slave with increased responsibility and opportunity. I will put you in charge of many things. As if what the slave was initially responsible for was a test. It was perhaps a test to see if he could be trusted with greater responsibility, and evidently here he passed the test. Finally, the master welcomes his slave into the joy of the master. He says, enter, enter into the joy of your master. You get a sense that the master's heart was filled with joy at knowing that he took the resources and he used them for productive gain and the master was so pleasured by that. That was the intent behind it. That's the purpose for it. And this slave proved himself to be faithful and it brought joy to the heart of the master. 
And I think likewise, we have the capacity, wonder of wonders, to bring joy to the heart of our heavenly master as well. Well, friends, faithful service to the master results in reward. It results in the reward of verbal commendation, personal approval, increased opportunity, and unrestrained, unmitigated joy in the presence of the master. May I say that a life infused with gospel power is a life well lived and results in eternal reward by the grace of God. The response of the master is no different with the second slave. Verse 22, uh, the one also who had received the two talents came up, said, Master, you entrusted to me two talents. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. In reading about the master's response to the first two slaves, one gets a sense that the master was eager to commend them. He was eager to commend them. And I submit to you that the master is eager on that day when we enter into eternity to commend us. He desires to be able to commend us as we have sought to be faithful, faithful stewards of the resources he has entrusted to us. The master here acknowledges their productivity and he lets them know he's pleased with them as well as their accomplishments. And both slaves were equally commended. It didn't matter to the master that the first slave came up with more talents than the second slave. The master's verbal response was exactly the same. He knew that both slaves were equally faithful to the task assigned to each. However, there is one final slave for us to be instructed by. One final slave. And this brings us to consideration number five. The master condemns his faithless slave. The master condemns his faithless slave. Verse 24 reads, And the one also who had received the one talent came up and he said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. This third slave had a deficient view of his master at best. He viewed his master as a hard man. The word elsewhere is translated difficult or rough. The slave's perception of his master is wrong. He fails to see his master as a kind master who had resourced him with what he needed to be productive. He fails to embrace lessons learned while his master was with him and the other slaves. The master had left him fully equipped and resourced for the task at hand, and the master resourced him sufficiently and according to his expectations. The master did not expect a five-talent return. He did not expect a two-talent return. A one-talent return would have been more than enough. This slave describes his master as reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. This comes across as an accusation that the master takes what does not rightfully belong to him that he takes what he fails to work for. But we who embrace our heavenly master can embrace such a declaration positively. Our heavenly master does reap and he does gather from the work he calls us to do. We as his slaves are called to sow the seed of God's word. We are called to go about scattering seed, knowing 
that our heavenly master is at work and he will cause the growth and will see fit in due time to reap a harvest so we can go about serving our heavenly master knowing that he is at work and that when he returns, he will reap a harvest. Unlike the first two slaves, the third slave approaches his master with false accusations. The master is hard, he is unfair. And this errant view of the master helps to explain the slave's unwarranted fear. He goes on to say in verse 25, And I was afraid. I was afraid. And I went away and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. This comes across as a lame excuse. I was afraid. The Bible talks about a healthy fear of the Lord that serves as the beginning of wisdom. But this slave's fear is an unwarranted and sinful fear that results in a lack of productivity. What did he have to be afraid of? Did he not know the goodness and the kindness of his master who resourced him with all that he needed and who went away entrusting a job to him? But he goes off and he buries the talent and he does nothing with it. He fails here. Rather than use his talents, he buries them. He allows his resource to go to waste. In burying the master's talent, the slave opted out of service to the master. That's what he does. He opts out of service to his master. In this parable, he represents one who is unsaved. Within the visible kingdom, there are those who have yet to be truly born again. You may be here and visibly you're part of the church, but perhaps you have yet to come to true, genuine faith in Christ, you have yet to be converted and you are in need of a new birth being born from the Spirit of above and being saved through the grace of God, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, within the visible kingdom, there are those who have yet to be truly born again. What did he do with all of the time on his hands while the master was away. Uh, we can speculate, clearly, he did not serve his master. Rather, he did what he wanted to do with his own time. After burying the talent, he likely thought little of the master. He had plenty of time to live for the idol of self. This begs the question, what are we doing with the resources entrusted to us? Are we embracing the greatest resource of all? Are we embracing the resource of the gospel? And as a result, are we being productive as kingdom citizens? Are we using all of what our heavenly master supplies us with for his purposes, for his glory, for his exaltation? Are we investing in eternity? Well, let us read on to see how the master responds to this servant. Verse 26, But his master answered, and he said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow, and I gather where I scattered no seed. The master is not pleased. This third slave has proven to be faithless. He was entrusted with a responsibility to use the master's precious resource for the purpose of productivity. He failed, and the master denounces him as wicked and lazy. Brothers and sisters, the Lord does not wink at spiritual laziness. It is associated with wickedness. You can read throughout the book of Proverbs about the importance of work 
and productivity. We were created for work. You will notice that the master affirms the slave's statement. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. But the master uses such a declaration to highlight the slave's failure and as reason that the slave should have had more to show from the one talent entrusted to him. In verse 27, we read the words of the master. As a result of the fact that I reap where I do not sow and I I gather where I scatter no seed, verse 27, he says, then... Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And upon my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. There is never any reason why resources entrusted to us should not be capitalized upon. The master declares that At the very least, the slave should have gained modest interest from the talent entrusted to him. Instead, the talent depreciated in value. It lost value. How tragic when our heavenly master entrusts resources to us And as a result, such resources seem to lose value. Perhaps an example of this is when a professing believer lives a double life. Such a person perhaps reads the Bible and prays periodically and he perhaps even goes to church. But all the while, he is engaged in gross and unrepentant sin. And eventually his sin becomes public, and as a result, many become disillusioned and reject the faith. We have seen this in recent history with pastors, shepherds of flocks who have fallen into gross sin and who have unsettled the flock over which God has made them a shepherd. Such men are entrusted with the resource of the gospel. But by the surfacing of of sin, the faith of others is weakened. And such wicked behavior raises the question as to whether or not such a person is saved after all. And as a result of, of the double life of this person, there are others who end up walking away from the faith. He has been entrusted with a stewardship, with a talent. He has been resourced. And as a result of his failure to use the resource appropriately, at the end of the day, such a resource ends up depreciating in value. Brothers and sisters, this cannot be pleasing to our heavenly master. The passage continues in verse 28. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away from him. The master in this parable takes from his slave the talent entrusted to him. His failure to capitalize off the resource spelled his doom. The time came when Such a resource was taken away and it was given to another who was deemed trustworthy as a steward of the resources given to him. I believe that part of what is going on here can be understood against the backdrop of a Jewish audience to whom Matthew is writing. The Jews had been given so much. They were not lacking In any resource, they had been on the receiving end of immeasurable blessings from God. They had seen the power of God. 
they had recorded the stories of the power of God amongst their people. They had received the word of God. God had sent prophet after prophet to them. And finally, God sends his own beloved son to come as their savior. But the Jews will stumble over the cornerstone. And as a result, they will lose everything. Until that day comes when they say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, the parable, as well as this passage, I believe, serves as a wake-up call to all who fail to embrace and capitalize off the resources provided by a good and gracious heavenly master. And the biggest failure is to fail to capitalize off of the resource of the gospel. We also learn from this passage that the reward that comes from productivity is greater opportunity for greater productivity. If we're faithful with what the Lord has entrusted to us, more will be entrusted to us. The one with the ten talents, he is given another talent. But the one with the one talent has even that taken away from him. And in case there should be any question regarding the spiritual state of the third faithless slave, the master declares in verse 30, and cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This passage removes any question concerning the reality of hell. Hell is a real place reserved for those who are unsaved. It is reserved for those who fail to capitalize off the resource of the gospel and out of the overflow of the gospel live productive lives. It is for those who take what is given to them and choose to do absolutely nothing with it. And it is a place of weeping and of the gnashing, the grinding of the teeth. Pictured here is intense agony and pain. Brothers and sisters, this reality of hell should motivate us to embrace and then in turn proclaim the gospel. We are surrounded by people in our communities who do not know Christ, and if they die in their sin, they will be eventually cast into the eternal lake of fire where they will suffer um, unimaginable torment forever and ever and ever. Being impressed upon us is the urgent call to proclaim Christ to your neighbors, to your friends, to your family members, to your co-workers, and to those who you come across as you're just living your life from day to day. Well, in summary, the master goes on a journey, but not before he entrusts all of his possessions to his slaves. The slaves respond in two different ways to the stewardship entrusted to them. The master returns and he settles accounts with his slaves. And those who were faithful were rewarded. And the faithless slave was condemned. Well, let us consider a few lessons, a few applications. Uh, I've got two lists, one through seven and one through seven. Um, and they're basically the same list. So if I sound redundant, forgive me. They're not completely redundant, as you will see as I run through the list. I'm going to run through the first one quickly and perhaps slow down just a little bit through the second one. But here are some lessons, here are some applications, things that we learn from this passage. I think, number one, we learn we own nothing. We own nothing. Okay, we'll turn this around in a moment. Number two. We are all created with differing skills, abilities, and opportunities. We are all unique, and we all have unique 
abilities and skills and opportunities. Number three, uh, we must faithfully steward our skills, abilities, and opportunities. The resources God has given to us, we must faithfully steward them. Again, as I said before, it begins with stewarding the gospel and all things being brought into subjection of a submission to a gospel-centered lifestyle. Uh, number four, we must seek to prioritize serving the Savior rather than self. Uh, number five, we must trust God to provide everything we need to do what He calls us to do. He'll give us what we need to accomplish the task at hand. And number six, we must serve our Savior in view of His certain return. He's going to return. Uh, no question about it. And number seven, uh, we will be held accountable. We will be held accountable. Let me run through those again, but say it a little bit differently. Number one, okay, the subject is different here. In the first seven, we is the subject. Now we have the Lord. Let's look at it this way. The Lord owns everything. Every single breath of air that we breathe is God's and he gives it to us as a gift. The Lord owns everything. The clothes on my body, the home that I live in, the money in my pocket. There is no money in my pocket right now, but if I had some. The money in my pocket, the Lord owns everything. My body, the Bible says, you are not your own. You were purchased at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. It all belongs to Him. And He simply entrusts to us these resources that we might use these resources for His glory and for His exaltation. He owns everything. And what a comfort to know that if by chance we end up losing everything, it's his to begin with anyway, and we're okay because the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Number two, the Lord created us with differing skills, abilities, as well as opportunities. We're all different. We have different abilities, and we bring our differing abilities together, and we serve one another, and in the process we're serving the Lord, and he is exalted at the end of the day. Number three, the Lord calls us to faithfully steward our skills, abilities, and opportunities. We are called to be stewards. He wants us to be productive. Number four, the Lord should rightfully have priority in our lives. That was the problem with the wicked slave, right? He did not prioritize the master, but the two good slaves, they, they honored the master. They prioritized him. They, they worked for him, and they did so happily because they knew he was a good master. Uh, number five, the Lord provides everything we need to do what he calls us to do. No excuses. Sometimes he might call us to do something, and it seems rather difficult. It seems rather hard. You look at it, and it seems like quite a mountain to climb. But guess what? He will take you up and over that mountain to the other side. I think I've seen this illustrated before my eyes over the last six or seven months. As I have observed firsthand our lead pastor, Pastor Milton, with all of what we have gone through in the last six to seven months, and as difficult as life has been, and the challenges facing the church, we have observed the Lord infuse Pastor Milton with the grace he needs to get us over and past this mountain. You see, the Lord, he will, he will empower and enable and provide us with everything we need. And so every time we've needed wisdom, the wisdom has come at the moment along the way. And ultimately, it's not glory to Milton. It's not glory to the elders, to him and to him alone. Be all glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. To him alone. Number six, the Lord will return with the expectation that we have been spiritually productive. And I ask you the question again, how are you doing? What are you doing? 
Are you embracing Christ, the gospel? Are you feeding off of him so that through him you can do all things through him who gives you strength? And are you ready for the return of our king? Our passage today, remember, is within the context of the Olivet Discourse in which Jesus speaks at length about the end times and exhorts his listeners to be ready. Part of being ready includes us being about our heavenly master's business. Number seven, the Lord will evaluate our service to him. The Bible says we will give an account for every word spoken, The Bible makes it clear that there is going to be a judgment in in which Christ will evaluate our works and God willing, it'll all come forth as gold. But there remains the possibility that some of our work done out of the overflow of the flesh and despite the fact that maybe God used it for some good, that it was not done in the right way, in the right manner, and, and, and such might be burned. We want to be found faithful. We want when that day comes and we behold our Christ face to face, we want to hear him say, to each and every single one of us. And as one of your pastors, I want to be a bystander looking on, and I want to see you come before the presence of your heavenly master, and I want to hear him say to you, well done, well done. And my heart will leap outside of itself with joy inexpressible. This is the heart of your pastors here at Cornerstone, that he would say to you on that day, and in part because he used us to help you, to equip you, and to encourage you, that he might say to you, well done, good and faithful servants. Well done. Perhaps you hear a message like this, and we're coming to an end, guys. We're, we're landing this plane. You come to, you hear a message like this, and, and, and maybe there are some of you who might feel a bit discouraged. I know this passage has challenged me. It's convicted me. I, I look over, you know, my life, and I think, man, there are so many ways in which I have wasted. In ways, I see myself more so as the unworthy servant than the faithful steward. And, and it's convicting to me to think he owns everything and all things are to be used for his glory. And I have squandered some of the resource entrusted to me. God, help me, forgive me, and strengthen me, empower me. And perhaps like me, you hear a message like this and you may be tempted to discouragement. You look at your life and perhaps your stewardship failures and you, and you feel like there is no hope for you, I want to leave you. I want to leave you with a reminder of one who completely wasted the resources given to him by his loving father. You know the story of the prodigal son. You know how he demanded before the proper time his share of his inheritance. In essence, he wished for his father to be dead. And you know how the father gave him his share and how the son then went off and he wasted every last bit of it. He is an example of an evil son who failed to steward the resources given to him. He lost everything, ended up in the pig pen, longing to eat the pig's food. And then he came to a census. He had his aha moment. He remembered the kindness of his father. He remembered how kind his father was, and he decided to return home and, and to ask to be made a servant. And so we have this good-for-nothing, wasteful, dirty, filthy, disgusting son returning to his father And in the meantime, what has the father been doing? Has he written his son off? Has he forgotten his son? No. 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 In reading through the story, you get a sense that the father had been waiting for his son the whole time. 
And no sooner had his son's silhouette appeared in the distance did the father rise to his feet and in humility run to his son and wrapped his arms around the son. And he kisses him repeatedly. This is the response of our Heavenly Father to all who come to Him in their brokenness, despite the fact of foolish choices made in their lives. And even now you can return to your Heavenly Father, to your Heavenly Master in faith and be granted a new beginning. However, if you continue to live your life in loose living and refuse to submit your life to your heavenly master, then be warned that a day of reckoning will come. Your life will be evaluated and the master will find you wanting apart from Christ. And apart from Christ and without the experience of a transformed life to the glory of God, apart from Christ, one is cast into the eternal lake of fire where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. May the Lord bless the reading as well as the preaching of his word. And I ask if you would please join with me in prayer. And as the worship team comes forward to lead us in a song, let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be effective stewards of the resource of the gospel and let the gospel have its way in our hearts and through our lives that through the gospel we are productive and that, Lord, all things are brought into submission to you. Our lives, our possessions, all things help us to live as stewards of your resources. You have been more than generous. You have given to us so much Help us, transform us, change us that we might be like these faithful slaves so that at the end of the day when we come before your immediate presence, we might be able to hear you say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.